Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is. Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers in the corporate and events world. And importantly, we meet the person behind the name. My name is Michael Pope, and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who do we have on the menu today? Our next guest is a man who should not be sitting here with us today. He is the only known survivor of a 22,000 volt electrical shock. On that fateful day, he decided to remove his insulated gloves while working on a damaged transmission line as a linesman. The decision would impact his family and himself in ways he could not have ever imagined. Co-author of Get Real, Staying Alive for a Living and Convenience Kills, today he speaks all over Australia as he shares with his audience's life-saving workplace safety advice using the backdrop of his own incredible survival story. Here today to make sure Michael and myself keep our gloves on in this interview, please welcome our next guest, Theo Venter. Well, thank you. That was one of the best introductions I've ever had, Carson and Michael. Thank, thank you. Thanks, Theo. It was a, it's the best you've had today anyway. <laughs> Welcome to you. Theo, before we start, can you solve an argument between Carson and me? Is the green wire the earth and the red one goes on the left or is it on the right? <laughs> the lines I've been working on, Michael, uh, didn't have a green and <laughs> green and a red. Uh, there no. was three lines, uh, wires on top of the pole, and it was a red, white and blue. So do not get confused with those, please. So Theo, for everyone can detect listening to this podcast that you have an accent. So just before we even get to the story, just tell us how did you end up in Australia? It's one of those stories that you, you couldn't even you couldn't even write a story about it. Um, Carson, I have never even considered coming to Australia. I never even thought about it. I was happily working for 17 or so years on Ovid Powerlines in South Africa. I knew there was a, quite a few of my friends that really wanted to immigrate, but it wasn't, wasn't very, very easy. So one of my mates took a, um, a form and filled it out one day as a practical joke on me and sent it through. In those days, you faxed it through, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh, I think it was about two weeks later when I got a phone call out of the blue from a guy called Brad saying, hey, Theo, my name is Brad. Would you like to come and work? You've, we've accepted your offer. And I just, I, I said, what? And I had to, you know, I go to my wife that night and I said to her, you would not believe my wife and my three kids sitting around the table. He said, we, we've got opportunity to go to the land of milk and honey. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of where it started. Fantastic. Well, welcome. Now, we've never introduced one of our guests with the words on that fateful day. So you better take us straight to that day. When was it? What was the date and what was the weather like? It was a beautiful Monday morning, 13th of February, 2006, when um, when I woke up after a good weekend, we had such a, we actually um, were in the country for only, I think I was only in the country for about six months, my wife only for three months, so she came three months after me, and um, we had a great weekend, and I remember getting up in the morning and, and uh, clearly getting into my youth driving to work with the music pumping because it was going to be a great week. We knew exactly what we were going to do for the rest of the day. It was just another day. Absolutely, just another day. And if you go Google that, you will find my face. <laughs> we arrive, you're up on the line. Talk us through that process to get to the decision that ultimately led to the conversation we're having to today. I got to, to work in the morning and 
they changed our job for the day. So this is a few things fell into place, which which we never really consider much. Um, mm -hmm. And they asked us to my me and my team to go and uh, fix this pole up. Uh, it's about 80 k's north of Perth. So I took the ute, drove up there, and got to the site. The truck was coming in tow, so they were a little bit slower. And I started doing the risk assessment. It took me about I would say about a minute to finish my risk assessment. That's clearly how much I thought about it. And when the truck came in, we set everything up. Nico, my best mate, and I decided we're going to go and tackle this thing. It was a very big job. I think it was going to be about 45 degrees that day in February in Perth. You know what it's like. And uh, it was going to be a four-hour job. So we knew we need to get going with this thing. As soon as us two got into this insulated bucket, getting up on this live, because the, the line was live, so we did live line. We, we did love and barrier work. Uh, we had to spot it at the safety observer downstairs and um, on the ground level, and we started working. And Nico was right in front of me, and he was basically working for about 20 or 30 minutes. I can't remember how long it was. It felt long until I kind of felt like he got frustrated. He, I couldn't see what I was doing. I was standing behind him, and he was just going, oh, I can't get it off. And I said to him, what's going on? And he said to me, Theo, I can't get this nut off. Now, he, there was this, this steel cross arm in front of us, live wires all around us, and a, a white insulator, the white phase or the middle phase insulator right in front of him. And, and he tried to get, get this and replace this insulator by getting the nut off. And he couldn't get in. The, the gloves was too big, too thick to get in there. He couldn't feel where it sits. I said to him, mate, just why don't you just step away for a second? Let me have a go. And kind of unwilling, I, I kind of dragged him away from, from the pole. And he was coming, standing behind me. And the moment I went in there to try and get this nut off, I, I just knew I couldn't do it. I couldn't see how it sat. It was, I couldn't feel how it sat. I couldn't get a socket in there. It was just immediately. I had a quick glance behind me and old Nico was talking to the safety observer downstairs. When at that moment, you know, I was always known as the guy that gets the job done. And I pride myself on getting the job done. And I was so focused on getting this thing done that I thought if I could just feel how it sits and I could just put my fingers in there without the gloves, I could, I could get it off. And a, I mean, a 12 mil nut's not going to stop me from doing a job. In, in my life as a 12 mil nut never stopped me. You know, I put my hands between my knees and I started pulling my gloves off. And the moment... The moment my gloves released from my hands, I could feel the cold sweat on my hands. I had this overwhelming, massive gut feel that something is wrong. This is not going to end well for me. You know, it was so powerful that I stopped and hesitated. And, and, and almost to the point where I wished someone sees me and screams at me and says, what the hell are you doing? So let me stop you there. You're at a crossroad. You could go left or right. Why did yep. you continue going left? And that's such a great question, Michael. Not for a single second did I even start to consider how many times they told me not to do it. Now, I was so focused on getting this job done, so focused on this little nut. Your focus goes from 180 degrees all the way down to let's just get this little nut off. 
And for, for that moment, never considered how many times they told me on the safety meetings, in toolbox meetings, do not do it if it's unsafe. I just wanted to get the job done. That's all. I pull my hands out. I override this, this gut feel that I had of something is going to go wrong. And I put my finger straight in there and I undo this nut. And do you know what? It took me about two seconds, two seconds to flick this nut off. I was so happy standing back. I was so happy. Like I was basking in my glory. My ego was like all over the place because now I'm the guy that gets the job done. And that moment as I'm standing there, I thought I saw the insulator moved on my left and I couldn't be sure, but I didn't want it, this thing to fall off the pole and fall on my mate's head or for dropped objects. And I, I had my right wrist on the steel cross arm and, and I just pure instinct, I started grabbing the insulator, but I didn't see that there was an exposed section of that line on my left. You know, it's never... It's never just the shortcut that you take, that convenient choice. It's never just about that. It's what happens while you're taking it. It's that, that unforeseen thing that happened while you're taking a shortcut. You can get away with a lot of shortcuts and a lot of uh, convenient choices. But sometimes something happens and then that comes in. Wow. So it was the decision to take off the nut with your bare hands that took your hands out of the gloves, but it wasn't touching the nut. It was just the moment because the nut was off, the thing fell. And had you not, had you put your gloves back immediately, maybe it wouldn't have happened. You would have grabbed the thing to stop it falling, but you would have been okay. Is, is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. If I had the time to put my gloves back on and, and that happened, a hundred percent. Okay. And then I would have got away with it. Yeah. Mm. All right. I want to stop you now from telling us the whole story because, you know, because that's the guts of the keynote and people really need to see you in the room with it. But already there are so many questions that bring us to a greater story and, and this idea of someone who's had an experience and has learnt the lessons so that we don't have to. And the first one is, why do we take risks? Uh, if we could take and get that through us and, and, and if I could explain this to you today, I'm going to keep the whole world and every single person that listens to us will get that golden nugget. So there's a few different pieces in the question that you have, and, and it's, not, it's not just a two-second answer, but it does come down to a few little things. And, and what I found is in the last 10, 12 years that I've been trying to chase why did I do it every day and every night of, of all the the pain and anguish I cause so many people and I go, why did I do it? Um, and it, it, it comes down to a little part of your brain. It's, it's not behavioral science. It's actually biology. There's a, we've got a neocortex, a frontal lobe in the, in the front of our heads that makes these decisions. That, this frontal lobe, it helps us to calculate and analyze and speak language, understand, read, write, do all these things. We use that brain every time. But that brain is the same exact brain that calculates the path of least resistance, which means... In a workplace, a path of least resistance means shortcuts. And funny enough, what happens in a workplace, there's an incident or, or someone took a convenient choice or an, a shortcut. They do investigation and they come back and they say, oh, he has more procedures and he has more signs and he has more stuff to read. And they make that brain even stronger. And they can't understand why people does that all the time. 
There's a little brain at the back of our head. It's called the limbic brain. This brain, it only deals in emotions and curiosity and creativity, things like that, where that's where, that's where you actually unlock safety. If you are unsafe, that little brain sends a signal to your gut, a real signal, and it says, hey, stop. And that's what you were experiencing at that moment you took your gloves off. That's exactly right. That, that, have you ever heard of people trying to make a decision about, or oh, I need to make a decision with my head or my heart? Yeah. That's the two brains trying to, to work each other, each other out. So if we could give our people listening out there the tools to give their people to at least get that, that limbic brain a little bit stronger so that at least when you're sitting in a position where they're going to take the shortcut, at least that, that little limbic brain, that gut feel comes in and they trust it and they say, wow, that's what Theo is talking about. One of the most, not the most powerful, but a powerful emotion, given your circumstance and what happened to you, would be that feeling of regret. How do you deal with that feeling, you know, day in, day out? It's been so many years now. That's such a big question because, you know, I think about five years ago, the, the first time someone asked me was if I knew what I know now, would I have gone back and do it again? And Carson, I have impacted so many lives negatively. There were so many things night after night. My own scars on my hands, my own mental and physical scars is, is bad. But I saw my kids I, you know, suffer because of what I did. I saw my best mates, everyone in, the, in my workplace and all these things. And I, and I said to this guy the one day, and it was just after a presentation, and he, and, he, and he asked me if I knew what I know now. And I, and I said to him, I will take it back in a heartbeat. I will take everything back in a heartbeat just to do something, just to do it the right way. Today, about two or three weeks ago, someone asked me the same question and my answer was different. And I guess this is how I answer your question is, I have changed so many people's lives in hundreds of thousands of people in, in over seven countries all over the world. And Today, my answer changes and I, I'd go, I've, I've done so much good in this world that I can't take it back. I think my purpose is to be standing here and talking to you guys and standing in front of a live audience and do that. So Yeah, that is fantastic and inspirational that you've been able to find the good in such a bad because you do reveal from the stage the consequences of you. I, I stopped you at that moment of impact, but you know the, the repercussions of it went, as you said, through your family and through your life. Many years ago, I did some health and safety work with a uh, petroleum company. And the guy that I was working with, I had such admiration for him. He was firmly of the belief that all accidents are preventable. Does that ring true to you? Like there's no such thing almost as an accident. You can always drill back and go, well, if this had happened, if this blah, blah, blah. What, what's your thinking? Isn't that a great topic for about an hour and a half? <laughs> <laughs> busy with this one. <laughs> In a nutshell. Was he yeah, right? Not, yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. Um, I know I can understand everyone will aspire to zero harm. And my romantic ideas goes, yes, we can do that. We can actually get to zero harm. And I guess ultimately that's where we want to end up with. And, and we will we'll never stop until we get to and never, ever harm anyone on our work sites again. Of course, it is, it is something that 
it, it, it's almost to try and think, you know, how big the universe is. Uh, it's it's almost impossible to to do that. But firmly believe that if we can have an impact on a on a group of people, which I have seen before, and you you put them out there, you can make so much inroads on cultures out there that they do look after each other, they do stop, and you do give them the tools to understand when they need to stop and, and turn back and stop those incidents from happening. And I believe 100%, and I've seen this, that cultures like that can change very quickly. On your website, you mentioned there were three lessons you learned while you were waiting to die in hospital. So One, um, one of them was have private health insurance, I'm sure. <laughs> hopefully hopefully that, was, that was ticked well before you got to hospital. But the three lessons that you said, and well, I guess there's two parts to this question. The first is waiting to die. So you obviously clearly thought you weren't going to survive. And the second part is obviously what are those three lessons? So the lessons when, when I was lying on my deathbed, came very, very clear to me. My first thing I thought was, if I could get someone to give me one more day on earth, one single more day, who would I spend it with? In other words, what would, what would my perfect day look like? And, and I now ask everyone else is, do, have you ever thought of it? What does your perfect day look like? Who would you wake up with in the morning? Where would you go? What would you do? Would you be on a boat? Would you, would you spend it with your kids, your mommy, family? What would you do? So what is your perfect day? What would, would it look like? What would your last night look like when you go? And what would you eat and stuff like that? So um, I say that as a lesson because we don't think about the good and what good looks like anymore. We actually just run away from the bad. People count your accidents and incidents and, and all those things. And, and they give it to you this month. Oh, you've done so much better because you, you heard five people less than last month. That's the wrong way around. We have to aspire to something that good looks like. Um, the second very, very, very strong message and lesson I learned was find my why. My why, my reason for getting through. And I understand today that they can strip everything, everything else from you. Your, your wife, your kids, your husband, your, your, husband, your, your, your house, your personal possessions, you can have nothing. But if you have your why, your reason, you can still get through it and you can get to the end of the day. And that's where you take a single little step in the right direction with your why that pushes you, that will become the biggest leap of your life. Um, there's one more thing that I learned was honor your agreements. If you honor your agreement that you make with someone, you will be the proudest person in the world. Once you make an agreement with someone and you honor it, it gives you accountability and ownership. And that's traits that every single person out there should really think about is have that accountability. Keep yourself accountable to honor agreements. In other words, if you stand in a pre-start in the morning or wherever and you make an agreement that you're going to go out there and, and stay safe and do everything that you need to do for yourself, Honour that agreement until the next day when you can say, I've done it and I'm going to do it again. Fantastic, Theo. Great lessons. And, and if we only did all follow those. You've said a couple of times that your mission now is to spread the word so that you know others don't have uh, the experiences that you've had. So you deliver a keynote speech. Is there more in, your, in the offering of Theo Venter? Absolutely. The keynote speech at the moment where I'm sitting right now is the, is the catalyst for the learnings to come for the mentoring, coaching and, and leaders with training and stuff to come. I've, I've done 
hundreds, even thousands of, of um, construction sites, mine sites, uh, doesn't matter where I go, doesn't matter who you are. I give six points at the end of my presentation, and, and it's all about personal development, personal learning. It is real life experiences. It's if, if you have that, that emotional connection with an audience, and that's what I do great. My presentation is inspirational. Um, I make a deeper connection with the audience where um, I, I speak to them from the same level as they are. We create respect. We create trust. We create a sense of, of disclosure. When I walk out on site, um, people will run to me, actually giving me a hug. I, I, I do it all the time. And have that openness and honesty to talk to me about their lives and what they happen because they, we've already connected in that yeah. respectful yeah. way. And when I then take those people and we talk about um, their mission statements, uh, the things that, that you will all read in the book, in the, in the Get Real book, and the uh, um, uh, Convenient Skills book, all these things, then I, I go back and, and it's a, like a, maybe another hour or, or half a day workshop that I, that I take them through because we've have established this connection between us and, and that is very powerful. Yeah, I, I bet it is. Theo, we've had over 40 guests on Our Next Guest Is, and they've all lived amazing lives, achieved great goals, or studied a certain area, and they've spent years and years and years refining their nuggets. You're the only person who has had a near-death experience and learnt the lessons from that. And it's really interesting what you said that uh, on Carson's question about regret. The fact is that you have been able to find the good from that terrible experience and the impact that you've made on lives is fantastic. So on behalf of me and my family and my brothers and sisters and friends that I don't even know, thank you for taking to the stage and going before us so that touch wood, we don't have to. All the power to you, mate. You guys are great. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Garson. Thanks, Theo. I've had the opportunity to see Theo speak and it is an incredibly powerful and moving story, one that will stick with you forever. But also there are some incredible lessons that can be learned for your workplace or for your life in general. And so if you want to book Theo to come and speak at your next event or conference, please go to www.theoventa.com. That was Our Next Guest Is with Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope. To hear more of our guests, you can find us on iTunes or simply visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break. <laughs>